You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So a couple uh, quick orders of business before we uh, get on with the things. Um, number one, just want to make sure it's clear because I get a lot of phone calls I can see to um, the Packernet After Dark podcast, which is what I'm calling it because it just, Packernet sounds stupid. I mean, it's it's so perfect. Just rolls off the tongue, but I can't do it, dude. It's so dumb. Anyways, there's a lot of phone calls that don't end up being voicemails. Now, it's entirely possible that these are, you know, spam, you know, callers or whatever. However, Goose hit me up and mentioned he tried to call and it says that this Google voice number or whatever is not available. That's correct. That's what it says. But then immediately after that, it says leave a message. So I'm just I'm just making sure that you know. If you call that number and it's like, you know, giving you some kind of a message that sounds like the phone number doesn't work, that's normal. I don't know why it sounds like that. Make it sound like, you know, the phone is disconnected, but that's normal. Just power through and eventually she'll tell you to leave a message and there'll be a beep and um, you're good to go. Second order of business. Um, I want to walk you through a little bit of how this whole podcast thing works and I promise there's a point. Basically, there's three components to um, three entities at work here. There's the shows, there's me and, and the boys and the shows and all that stuff. There is the network that we work for. And the network essentially serves one function and that's it. They go out and find advertisers for us. And if they find them, then um, they'll work out details, the uh, ad rates, how much you know they're going to charge. They'll get the ad copy, you know the, what I'm supposed to read, get that sent to me. And then I'll send them an audio file, and then they'll set it up so that it, it plays on the show on a recurring basis and all that stuff. So they kind of do all that work, and then they get a cut of whatever revenue there is. The third entity is the host company. In this case, it's Megaphone. Megaphone is the place that we have to upload all of our podcasts to, and Megaphone distributes it. So if you get it on iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff, it comes from Megaphone. Now, one of the things that Megaphone and pretty much all these companies do now that they didn't used to do when I started, it used to be like just Megaphone did it, now all of them do it. I was just recently looking at some of the some of the hosts that I used to use or from back in the day, and every single one of them now, they have this thing where you can um, tell them, I want ads here, and then they'll just put ads in. It's this gigantic marketplace. And the way, the reason it works is because... While most podcasts get like 100 downloads or whatever, maybe not even that, per episode, when you have tens of thousands of shows on your network, or not network, but on, on your platform, you can sell that to, you know, Pepsi or Starbucks, and they will buy, even, even you know, giving people with really small shows the ability to monetize their show. The, the point of all of this is to tell you that 95% of the ads that you're listening to come from Megaphone. And, and the way that that works is I am contractually obligated by the network to have two ads run at the beginning and four in the middle. That's in the contract. Now, whether or not they actually run is a separate thing, but I have to tell Megaphone that I want two here and four here. And if they can sell those spots, they'll put it in there. But I have no input on what those ads are. I used to be able to exclude certain categories. I went and looked, and I cannot do that anymore. I bring that up because I've, I've gotten some messages about some of the ads that are playing, and as we get into the political um, season, there's probably going to be more. So maybe that's not a comfort. Maybe you don't care. I've had several people drop out of Patreon, and I'm, I don't know that that's the reason, but I'm, I'm starting to wonder if people believe that I'm endorsing things that, that uh, are very hot button issues. And the point is, that's never going to happen. If I could exclude it, I would. There's literally nothing I can do about that. Um, I have turned down advertisers in the past many, many times. In fact, I've turned down things for, you know, much more basic than that because I want to keep it a 
family show and I want to keep it about football and all that stuff. And so bottom line is you're probably, unless I can find a way to, to exclude the categories, you're going to hear this podcast endorse candidates. You're probably going to hear this podcast endorse political positions. And who knows what other things that I wish were not on the show, but there's nothing I can do about it. But I just wanted you to know that we are not specifically endorsing anyone. I have not given the green light to put any of that stuff on this podcast. I just don't have control over the vast majority of the advertisements that are playing. I wish I did. I'm working very, very hard on trying to find advertisers. I've been asking for people um, that are here, that are listeners. If you have anybody that wants to advertise or can think of anything, please reach out and we'll, we'll work with you. Um, I am currently in the process of trying to hire someone. I've sifted through about 300 resumes right now, believe it or not, um, for people that are looking to take that job. And, you know, if we can find somebody good enough, maybe we won't need the network. Maybe we won't need um, all these other advertisements because we can work with our own companies. I've tried to reach out to local Wisconsin businesses um, because I would just rather work with those people and have control over it. But the, the bottom line is so far, I've not been able to find a way to do this on my own. Without the network, without the, you know, megaphone and all that stuff, I just, it's, I, I have not been able to do it so far, but I am working on that. So I just wanted you to know how this all works so that you can understand this, the 95% of the ads you're hearing, I have no idea they're running. Even once in a while, my wife's like, you know, Star, you, you're working with Starbucks? Like, no, what are you talking about? You think Starbucks, I, I, they would never work with me directly. These bigger companies, no chance. Still too small for that stuff. But that's that's the bigger marketplace where that those ads pop up for everybody. So, um, and I'm also probably going to have to talk now that we're in a network to just kind of remind everybody as we get into this heated season of of politics that that needs to stay off the shows and everything else. But anyways, if there's anybody that's been offended by anything, um, I do apologize. And as always, just the, the the biggest thing: if there are any issues with the network or with me or with the show, please reach out to me. All right, just let me know. I understand the economy is is in rough shape and you know maybe that has more to do with Patreon than anything else. Just can't afford the the thing and that's completely fine. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just I'm just getting a sense that people are getting upset about something and it's hard for me to know what it is. So, anyways, just wanted to uh lay that all out there for you. And of course, it's the Sunday show and nobody listens on a Sunday, so <laughs> I may have to remind people tomorrow, but I'll do a shorter version of it. Anyways, a um, little bit of NFL news. Richie Incognito and Jason McCourty have announced their retirement. Um, both of them phenomenal football players. In fact, the last three retirements um, have been some of the some of the better football players in uh, recent history. Richie Incognito, 39 years old, was still playing at a high level. Jason McCourty, 35, same thing. The guy is 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 an incredible football player. And when we talk about you know. New England being a, a team that had really good DBs across the board, Jason McCourty was a big part of that. It's also cool that his twin brother, he, he was there with his twin brother, and both of them were phenomenal football players. But um, the only other bit of news here is the Jesse Bates situation continues to get a little bit more interesting. Um, not only has there been no deal done, that needed to be done, I think, by, well, two days ago, something like that, two, two three days ago, I don't know. But apparently, according to CBS Sports' Josina Anderson, um, Jesse Bates will not play on the franchise tag. He's not going to report to training camp. He's not going to play on the tag. And so now that the time to reach a long-term deal is um, expired, I don't know what the options are. I also don't understand why there would be a deadline. I don't really understand that. I mean, I know you can hammer out deals pretty much whenever you want in the season, so it's something weird with the tag, but, but now what? Can you just dissolve the tag and then come up with a contract? But isn't that what you're doing anyways when you come up with a long-term contract? You're doing away with the tag? So what, now Now they're officially on it? But did he even sign it? So how could he be officially bound by it if he didn't even sign I don't know. I, I don't really understand the details of how that works. But it sounds to me like the there, there are three options for Jesse Bates. And I bring this up because I had talked about, like with all these guys, the potential of potential, potential of potentially, the potential of them possibly being Packers. Not that it's necessarily high probability, but still probable, possible. I don't know what I'm talking about here. I don't know why this thought is so hard for me to get through. Anyways, number one is he plays on the tag. He's like, all right, fine. I guess I'm out of options. I'll play. 
Number two is um, he says, I'm not playing, and the team's like, all right, then I guess you're not playing, and he pulls the old Le'Veon Bell thing, and he just sits the year, which would really suck for Jesse Bates, because then you come around next year, and they can tag you again. I think if you don't play, then it's still the first year of the tag, I'm pretty sure. And that's where you kind of hold no, no... the team kind of holds the cards in that regard because they can just tag you again next year and tag you until eternity and you lose that battle. Would they do that? I don't know, but, you know, whatever. The third option is the Bengals realize this just isn't going to work and they trade them. And I guess the the it seems unlikely that a trade would happen, but you could say that with the two tight ends as well. And it seems like with the two tight ends, they've kind of come to a point where they recognize, and granted, they are going to play on the tag, but either way, the team recognizes this is kind of going to be the last year we have no intention of paying that much money for this player. I don't know why the Bengals wouldn't pay that much money for a safety. Um, it's a pretty important position. He's a young, talented guy. I don't know. But if they've come to the realization that it's just not going to work and and they just aren't super high, I, I don't know, they would end up trading him. And, and the, the negative is, if anybody's even interested in Jesse Bates to the Packers, I'm not even sure if I am, but the, the negative, if you are interested in that, is if you were to go to Green Bay again, I think it would be next year. I don't think the Packers, under any circumstance, would trade for him now. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I know we've talked about, well, three safety and all that stuff. But again, I don't think that that's the direction we're going. We just got Quay Walker, which means we're going to be doing more two linebacker as opposed to one linebacker and a safety. And I can't imagine why the Packers would trade for a, trade for a player and then pay him a bunch of money just so that we could, you know have him wait until next year and then move on from Amos and then maybe have Savage be kind of good and maybe have Bates be good because neither of these guys have shown any consistency. They've both shown high ceilings, but neither has really shown any consistency to be any good. So it, it doesn't really make it. I wish it made sense. I do. It, it's, 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 oh my goodness, I'm struggling today. It's exciting to think about, you know, a young, talented player possibly going to Green Bay. Like, we got a little bit of money. Maybe we could do him a minute. But it just it just doesn't quite line up where it needs to. Right? Tight end, though, I'll get behind it. Whether or not the Packers will actually pull the trigger, I don't know. But I could maybe see that being a thing. But, you know, that you start getting into the weeds of, is Rodgers going to be here? And then if he's not, what is the contract situation going to be like? Can we even afford him? I, dude, I, I have no idea. I think what I need to do is just talk to some of the contract guys and just be like, just break it down for me. Just give me the raw numbers. If he leaves next year, what's what's our cap? If he leaves the year after that, if he leaves the year after that, what what are we looking at here? Because I've I've heard that the earlier he leaves, the better it is for the Packers cap. But then I also just read something yesterday that was like, if he leaves next year, the Packers are in such bad cap shape, they basically have to tear everything down and restart. It's like, well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I. Okay. But anyways, um, taking a look at the fact that we are, what, 11 days away from training camp, um, which is exciting because it seems like it's really close, but I also understand that that's going to go by really, really, really slowly. But still, it's starting every single day when I look at articles and things that maybe will be interesting. 50% of the articles are how many days until training camp, and maybe they do something, quote unquote, creative with that number. 14 days until training camp. Here are 14 greatest Packers games ever. Ugh. But anyways, um, the most recent have got the numbers low enough to where um kind of jacked about it. In fact, actually, I think it's 10 days from when this goes live anyways. Point is, the number's getting low enough to where I'm starting to get a little bit excited. And so I kind of want to just walk through what it is I'm most excited about. Um, talked a little bit I think yesterday or whatever about camp battles and how the guy laid out camp battles but didn't really talk about anything. He he was implying apparently that wide receiver is the biggest camp battle for the Packers but didn't really lay it out as a battle or how it's a battle or what the conclusion of the battle will be or any didn't really talk about it being a battle at all. It was just an opportunity to trash Rodgers and uh, the Packers wide receivers. But that is a pretty good spot to start. And for obvious reasons. And, and the, the good thing about training camp, as much as we want to pretend or not pretend, I mean, it, to some degree it's true, but as much as we always talk about it, it doesn't mean anything and it's stupid, um, it is actually going to give us a pretty good idea of where things stand. Uh, they are going to come out in, I mean, they're going to be sorted. You're going to see Aaron Rodgers on the field with 
three wide receivers, and we're going to see who those three wide receivers are, and that's going to tell us who one, two, and three are. You know, it's same with like the 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 offensive line. I mean, there's there's going to be a pretty clear understanding of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, just based on who's out first, who's out second, who's out the the most often. You know, and and that can change. But the point is, from day one, this is the Packers are going to come out with what they currently believe is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. First team, second team, third team. And I actually think it'll be interesting to see. Let's say there's three guys on the field. Who are those three guys? Now, we, we kind of can assume Randall Cobb will be out just because he's a slot guy. So the question would be, who are the two boundary guys? You know Lazard is going to be one of them, but there is a question of, is it Sammy or is it Christian Watson? I would lean Christian Watson. And, and again, things can and will change. Did I say Watson? I meant Watkins. I hate when I have to talk about the two of them. Watkins. Sammy Watkins. I would think it's Sammy Watkins because he's the more experienced guy, and so we're going to put him out there first because he kind of understands, you know, football, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not a guarantee, right? Uh, Quay Walker's already out there with the ones, and as much as you know, a lot of this might have to do with kind of respect, and you got to earn your spot or whatever. We're also getting very close to the season, and if they genuinely believe Christian Watson is the guy, they're going to put him out there. So my assumption is it's going to be Cobb, Lazard, and Sammy Watkins, but. Um, is there a chance that somebody takes a spot? I doubt Amari would take Randall's job. That that seems impossible, but it'll be interesting to see. From Amari's standpoint, it's more about his growth. And the, again, the problem is Randall Cobb stunts his growth. You know, we could talk about how great it is that Randall's there to help coach up Amari, and that's true, but the the on-the-job training is the most important thing. And as long as Randall Cobb is our slot guy, Amari is not our slot guy. And he is a slot receiver. So ideally, we see some growth from him and, and something from him, but I, I don't know how much more we're going to get from him this year. You know, he, he's going to have a limited role. It's not impossible to have two slot guys if you have four wide receivers, but it's hard to imagine a team that lost Devontae Adams is going to be more wide receiver heavy than they were in the past. It's possible. I mean, you can have Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, uh, Amari and Randall just as kind of mixing it up. Or you can get your, your bunch out there and have Lazard as, as an additional blocker, three to one side, one to the other. Although you wouldn't want Randall. Well, maybe you do. If, if you think Amari can block, Amari, Alan Lazard, and Sammy Watt. I know Lazard and Watkins are great blockers. No, I don't think you'd want both because Lazard and Sammy would be the blockers. Who would run behind them? You could have Randall if he's the more shifty guy. You'd probably want Amari, though, because he's a friggin' sledgehammer. And then just put Christian Watson on the other side because that's just going to scare him with the speed and everything. Or put AJ Dillon over there or something. Just, just, just gotta threaten something over there. You know, if it's just AJ Dillon in a corner, it's like I don't know, man. We're gonna need some more. Mo- that corner is gonna get killed over there by himself. So you gotta bring either a safety or kind of inch a linebacker over there just in case. But you also got this bunch, which clearly looks like this is going to be a toss to Amari. Anyways, you can use Amari, but I don't see him being used anything other than in gadgety situations. But may- maybe you can. Maybe. Maybe Randall and Amari are interchangeable based on what kind of plays you're doing. You know, I mean, you can use Amari. I mean, assuming he can play, you can use him in a lot of ways, but they're almost entirely different than how you would use Randall. Using him in, in motions and, you know, jet sweeps, end arounds, screen plays. Amari brings a different dynamic. But again, all that is going to be interesting to see during training camp. How often is he being utilized? In what ways is he being utilized? And does he look good at all? If not, then it's like, well, just forget it. But what is the number one team? How do they look? But then I also have some questions about number two in particular. Let's say it is Sammy Watkins, Lazard, and Cobb. Is it Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Amari Rogers after that? Because I don't know that we know that for sure. First of all, Samore Ture is also an option. And again, maybe right out of the gate, he's not going to be on the number two team, but it's possible he could bump somebody out of that spot if he's just doing a better job secondarily, Jawan Winfrey and Malik Taylor are guys that have been with this team for a long time. It's entirely possible they're running with the twos. And so don't be super disappointed if it ends up being Christian Watson, you know, Jawan Winfrey, and Amari Rogers. People probably aren't going to like it, but then then you're going to get the opposite reaction. Well, it looks like Dobbs isn't, he's running with the threes, he must suck, this is a disaster, Gutekunst fails again, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, just that level of nonsense. But it's just a matter of you know, it's it's not about Dobbs. Dobbs isn't good enough to be with the ones yet. He hasn't proven anything. And also, Malik has, and Jawan Winfrey has. Probably the only reason Christian Watson's running with the twos is because he was a second overall pick, and they're just not going to shove him with the threes. But maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe it'll be all three 
you know, rookies would run with the second team. I think that'd be fun either way. Just be cool to see it. I would love to see that, by the way, in the preseason. Jordan Love with uh, Toure, Dobbs, and Watson all on the field. I think that'd be awesome. And then you get that that big boy package. You could put Lazard, um, Juwan Winfrey, 6'3", 215. Malik Taylor, 6'3", 220. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with this group, man. Again, it's it's not so much that we've got that number one guy, but there is such a diverse group. Sammy Watkins, again, is one of the best run-blocking wide receivers in all of football, which is something that just gets completely forgotten about or not even talked about, but he is. Lazard didn't grade out very well in that category at all, but we know he's very good at it. So Lazard and Sammy Watkins are very good physical blocking wide receivers on top of whatever they can do as being receivers. But also you got Malik Taylor and Juwan Winfrey who are large human beings. Christian Watson is a very large human being. Amari Rogers is a big dude considering how, you know, he's not tall, but he's jacked. So you've got size with some of these guys. You got speed with some of these guys. There's just, there's such a cool combination. And so it'll, it'll be interesting to see who's first team, second team, third team. It's, it'll be interesting to see who's performing well, which I know, you know, doesn't matter quite as much, but it kind of does. Because if you want to go from third team to second team, from second team to first team, it's going to be because you're performing. Now that may have to do more with understanding than, than catches versus drops, but it, it is really going to be interesting because it's so wide open. I mean, we've got guys on the third team that could end up being on the first team. You got guys on the, you know, second team that can go in either direction. Romeo Dobbs could be, you know, First team wide receiver, he could be third team wide receiver. He, you know, practice squad. I don't know. Probably not practice squad. He'll get picked up. But that that day one is always the most exciting because it's like, what have they come to? Because the, they've had a little bit of time with these guys to see where they're at. Also keeping in touch with them to get their understanding and all that stuff. Day one, play one, who's out there with the first team? Offensive line is the exact same thing. Who are those? First of all, David Bakhtiari. Yeah. That might be the most important thing from day one of training camp. The very most important thing is David Bakhtiari out there practicing. If he's not, we're in serious, serious trouble because something is very, very wrong. Just bottom line. Absolutely should not take this long to recover. And if his knee is not recovered yet, that is a serious problem. So that is the A number one most important thing. Is David Bakhtiari out there? After that, who's out there with him? I'm assuming it's John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and then Elton's still going to be hurt, so maybe Cole Van Landen has been kind of filling in that spot seemingly a lot. But is that the group? I mean, we know David Bakhtiari is that guy. We know Josh Myers is the center, but other than that, not 100% sure. Presumably John Runyon seemed to do a pretty good job at left guard. Royce Newman played all year, but, you know, the big circle around Zach Tom and Sean Ryan. Are they going to be given a shot? And if not, then how long before they get that shot? And the good thing about training camp is you're going to get a better idea than what we had before in terms of how they're looking. And I'm, I'm really, really, really hoping that one of these guys is just a complete stud. I, I, I feel it in my bones that somebody is. And I'm, I could be wrong, and I try not to jump the gun on that. I, I try not to be overly optimistic. There's just something about these two guys that I just have such a good feeling about, more so than Christian Watson, more so than Romeo Dobbs, more so than Samori Ture. Kingsley, I mean, you know, Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt are are kind of on that level in terms of my level of comfort with Sean Ryan and Zach Tom. I, I don't know why. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure, just like I'm not 100% with Devontae Wyatt. I'm not 100% with Quay Walker. They could be busts and just like Zach Tom and Sean, but one of these two, if not both, I'm not saying both of them, my confidence level that one of these two guys is going to be a really good football player, I just can't shake it if not both. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to fight that urge to just tell you these guys are both going to be so good, but I don't know why. I, I very rarely am this excited, especially around mid-round guys, especially since Sean Ryan is a third-round pick, and we understand the Packers' third-round curse, but just feeling like Sean Ryan taking that right guard spot, as much as I'm a massive Zach Tom fan, I would be so unbelievably happy if Sean Ryan took the right guard spot, Zach Tom won the left guard spot. I just don't think they're going to give up John Runyon's spot, unless Zach Tom is just an absolute freak show, which is possible. But yeah, I'm I'm going to be watching very closely this this offensive line thing with just just hoping and praying to hear some really good reports because at the end of the day, even if they don't get those jobs, if if the offensive line let's stay at at full health stays, David Bakhtiari, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Elton Jenkins, if if there are really good reports about Sean Ryan and Zach Tom, we've got backups. We know Yash can play tackle. Sean Ryan and Zach Tom can play on the interior. 
we've got a, a backup unit. But I also know that Royce and, and Runyon have their issues. John Runyon is one of the better pass-blocking guards in football, but the run-blocking was really lacking. Again, it's going to be hard to take a job from that guy because you could be the worst run-blocker in football. If you're the best pass-blocker, you're still going to keep your job because nobody cares that much about run-blocking to replace that good of a pass-blocker. It's just not going to happen. But, um, you know, big double-circled, triple-underline Royce Newman, that spot feels like it's wide open. He's got the experience. He showed some promise toward the end of the season and all that stuff, but I, I just feel like one of those two guys, Zach Tom or Sean Ryan, is going to take that spot. And as much as I've always been a Zach Tom fan, I, I just think he's sort of that left guard, more of a, a, a leaner pass-blocking type, whereas Sean Ryan is just a big, physical, mean, violent right guard. <laughs> so if I had to pick for Royce Newman at the right guard spot, Sean Ryan makes the most sense. On, on top of the fact that they drafted him first because they like him more than Zach Tom, obviously as a prospect. Um, other guys to keep an eye on, Cole Van Landen has been given a lot of uh, looks at the right tackle spot. Maybe he's taken a step, kind of just forgot about the guy, but um, he was a six-round pick, just like John Runyon was a six-round pick. It's not impossible that maybe he really shows something, um, you know, more so than, for example, Yash Nijman. Again, a guy nobody's talking about, but who knows? Maybe maybe he really does step up. Um, tight end, also extremely interesting. It seems like, you know, everybody's going to talk about how inter- amazing and super interesting everything is. Usually a lot of these things are kind of sorted and don't really matter. Tight end, though, is very interesting for a lot of reasons. I mean, Mercedes is Mercedes. He's either still Mercedes or he takes a step back. That's just kind of what it is. But there's nothing super interesting there. Tunyon is not probably going to be doing anything because he's still injured. I don't know what his status is. Um, But everybody else that we're talking about is interesting. Um, Dominique Daphne, the Packers really, really, really like this guy. Josiah DeGuara is one of those guys that's just been hanging on that we're just, you know, fingers crossed every year, please just take that big step. And really, this is kind of year two for him because he was injured all year in his first year. So this is basically his year two. So he's got one full year of playing under his belt. He's got two full years of studying and understanding Matt LaFleur's system under his belt. There really needs to be more from Josiah. This, this is year three is kind of, and, and again, some players break out year four, five, six, seven, eight. There, there's really no um, one thing for any person. So anything's possible. But year three is kind of that year you look at and go, okay, th- this is kind of it, dude. If you don't perform this year, then it's it's really not looking great for your the prospect of you becoming really anything. And and you know the the other good thing about Devontae leaving is is you know Rodgers is going to have to look elsewhere, and it's really going to help guys like Josiah. Just just giving him that opportunity, giving giving him a couple extra shots, whether that be play designs. Again, going back to the thing where Rodgers said it wouldn't be an understatement to say that eighty percent of the plays were designed to go to. Devonte, well, how how in the world does that help a guy like Josiah when nothing is planned for him? Or even even Robert Tunyon, we we've seen how successful he can be. We've seen Tunyon at his best, and it's really impressive. You know, may, maybe the the fact that you know going back, I kept saying, you know, there's there's always one guy, there's always that one guy that steps up, but it's never consistent, right? One week it's Devonte and MVS, the the next week it's Aaron Jones, the next week, but there's always just one guy and it's never consistent. You know, MVS never strung together multiple games. Lazard never did. Maybe the reason that guys never had multiple games of success is because everything was about Devonte. And the odds of you having one good week as opposed to two in a row, it's it's so incredibly unlikely. And it's still relatively unlikely because we're going to distribute, but but again, everybody's going to get a lot more opportunities. And, and not just in terms of Rodgers finding you and throwing you the ball, but play design. It, it is designed to go to Mercedes Lewis. This play is designed to go to Josiah DeGuara. This play is designed to go to Dominique Dafty. This play is designed to go to Tyler Davis. As opposed to, this is another Devante play. You go out there and just try not to mess up. Go run your route that nobody cares about. And, you know, you can get open or not get open. It doesn't matter because Rodgers isn't going to look your way anyways. You know, I mean, we've seen, I've, I've seen in the past, I remember, maybe, was it two years ago? It seems unlikely because he didn't hardly play at all. It was like in one game. But anyways, I remember Josiah getting open and just wanting him to, th- because it's, that's my dude, man. I've been banging the drum for Josiah for a while. You see him run a play. You see him finally on the field. You see him run a route. He gets open. It's like, throw him the ball. And he doesn't throw him the ball because this is a Devontae play. So that would, J- I think Jace is who I'm thinking of. I remember that with Jace. I wanted Jace to be a thing. And very rarely did he do anything, and granted he wasn't very good, but occasionally you'd see him and he'd get open, and he just, he wouldn't get the ball. So I'm excited to see some growth from Josiah, but 
with that, and this is true of basically everybody, but especially guys like Josiah who are kind of, you know, Aaron Jones gets a ton of usage. A.J. Dillon gets a ton of usage. Alan Lazard gets a ton of usage. The guys who are out there but don't get a lot of actual usage, Josiah DeGuara, Dominique Daphne, Mercedes Lewis, you know, I don't know, Kylan Hill, Amari Rogers, even Randall Cobb, the guys who who are out there but don't really get a lot of attention, those are the guys I'm most excited about. What if we lean on them a little more? What's going to happen? Is it going to be a failure because they suck at football? Or are they just kind of guys that are waiting to explode? Because I, I really believe there, there are a lot of guys who, even if they're not great football players, you can design plays, you can get them open, you can throw them the ball, and they'll get yards, they'll get touchdowns. You know, I'm, I'm not even proposing Josiah DeGuara's grades go up or that he gets much better at football, but if you lean on him, his stats go up. You know, there's a difference between stats and grades. And I, I think that's kind of the major point that I've been trying to make these last, I don't know how many days or weeks about, you know, trying to understand that just because Devontae leaves doesn't mean the, the wide receiver yards go down, that Aaron Rodgers yards go down, all that stuff, because there isn't necessarily a direct correlation between how good you are and how many yards you get. There, there, there's somewhat of a correlation there. You're going to get open more often and all that stuff. But the point is, Rodgers is going to throw the ball to somebody and somebody's going to get open. It's just a matter of who. And, and you can scheme open not quite as good football players. And, and I think there are many times when other guys were open. So that, that ball could easily just go somewhere else. In other words, you don't have to be as good as Devontae to get some of those snaps, some of those yards, some of those passes. Just because Josiah doesn't have the greatest grades, because he's not that great of a football player, he's not certainly not Devontae, but he's not even you know, on Lazard's level as far as being a receiver or a receiving tight end. He's not on Tunyon's level, whatever. If you lean on him, you can make those stats look impressive. And that's one of those things, too, where the, the, the media and the fan, fan base at large or whatever largely just looks at stats. And and so if you lean on Josiah, Josiah gets a bunch of yards, he gets a bunch of touchdowns. And it doesn't mean he got better at football. It just means we leaned on him more. And so everyone's going to say he had a breakout year. He suddenly became this. No, he didn't. He's the same guy. He's still kind of not great, but he got a lot more yards and touchdowns because we're leaning on him. Does that kind of make sense? Anyways, I'm interested in seeing what happens when you lean on guys. What What is their full potential? Because I, I think we get too hung up on the statistics weren't where we want them to be, therefore they're not good. And that's not always the case, right? We went through that with Rashawn. Well, the stats suck. Yeah, because he didn't play very much. Amari, well, look at his stupid stats. He sucks. He was never on the field. What would Amari... It's not a matter of what. how many yards did Amari get. The question I have is if you made Amari your number one wide receiver, how many would he get? I'm not proposing that we do that. It would be a disaster, but I'm just saying. If you designed 80% of your plays to go to Amari, how many yards, how many, t- what, what, 705 touchdowns? Maybe, I don't know, and that's that's not even that good. But the point is, if he had 705 touchdowns, what would people say? He had a breakout year. No, he didn't. We're just using him more. In my opinion, a, a breakout year is when you break out in terms of your understanding and your ability to play at a higher level. It's not more yards and more touchdowns. Generally, we, we assume there's a correlation there, and a lot of times there is. Sometimes it's because you're playing better, you get more targets and everything else. So, so it kind of plays hand in hand, but I, I just want to make it clear that there is a difference and a distinction between the two. Your team leaning on you and how good at football you are. And I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm excited that some of these guys that haven't quote unquote broke out yet are going to be getting more utilization and more opportunities to prove that I can be that guy. And I think there are guys who are stunted. You know, Josiah, I, I, I want to see it, but there's just not a lot of opportunities. I think he's going to get more opportunities. You know, Daphne, Mercedes, Tunyon, whenever he comes back, guys like Cobb, guys, even even Lazard, he got a ton of, of opportunities, but he can get a lot more. What What is his upside if he gets even more opportunities? Guys like Amari, guys like Christian Watson, Dobbs, all these guys that all would play second fiddle, now getting more utilization. And who knows, maybe Aaron Jones gets more usage as a, as a receiver, therefore A.J. Dillon gets more usage as a, as a running back. We get to see him get more carries. Maybe it's just Dillon. As, I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff that's been left on the table that I think we get to, to play with, and I'm excited about it. But anyways, as far as the, the tight end battle goes, that's or the, the training camp and whatnot, that's kind of the biggest thing. We know what Mercedes is. We know Tunyon probably isn't going to be out there. But um, And even Daphne, I, I, maybe it's a little unfair to Daphne, but I just kind of feel like he is what he is, which again is unfair. It's, it's, it's primarily because he's just an undrafted free agent compared to Josiah, who is a third round pick. Um, Daphne has been a very good football player. He graded out extremely well. I mean, almost a 70 overall grade and not, not only just the 70 overall, but when you look at his consistency, 
The only reason it wasn't higher is because he had a couple lower grades, but um, his lowest game was a 50. He only had three games in the 50s. Otherwise, it was all 60s and 70s, and that was almost every single week. He was he was pretty solid. And so just consistently solid um, and almost in every category. I mean, as a pass blocker, he never had a bad game. Run blocker was about 50-50, but point is I'm, I'm being a little unfair with my low expectations for Dominique Daphne. We'll, we'll see how that goes, and I just like everybody else, I'm excited to see how it goes. But in terms of training camp, the two guys I'm really looking at are Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Davis. Josiah to see if he takes a step. And, and you know, there, there's a limited step he can take as well, just in terms of his role. And I think that's part of what the, the issue is with Dominique Daphne. Josiah DeGuara is not Robert Tunyon. And I don't mean that from a talent standpoint. I mean that from a schematic standpoint. Now, you can still use Josiah uh, plenty from his formation, but, you know, he's a guy that's going to be asked to do a little bit more blocking type stuff, whereas Tunyon is going to be asked to do less of that stuff. But Tyler Davis... Tyler Davis presumably is sort of that Tunyon type of tight end. And from all, from everything I've heard from fans, from the team, from the coaches, from Aaron Rodgers, Tyler Davis is something, you know, they, they think they really have something in him, which is so, I can't think of a time where I ever remember anything like this before, to be completely honest. Let's sit here for a couple seconds, shall we? Let's, let's review because this one, this one confuses me a little bit. And I, I guess, I guess it's not true that he didn't play very much. I just didn't notice his existence. I uh, apparently, but 2020 six round pick Jacksonville Jaguars plays 40 snaps, 22 of them receiving, four of them pass blocking, 14 of them run blocking. He had a 40.9 overall grade, 42 receiving grade, 72 pass blocking grade, and 51 run blocking grade. So um, his four pass blocking snaps apparently weren't horrible, but everything else was a complete disaster. Jacksonville's like, this guy's garbage. After one year, we don't want this six-round pick. They let him go. Packers are like, all right, we'll see what this guy can do. Starting in week five, he plays uh, four snaps in week five, one in week seven, one in week nine. He got basically 60 overall grades every week because he played one snap. The one that he played multiple snaps, he was a 56 overall grade, 42 pass blocking grade. It was pretty disastrous. And then week 10 against Seattle, he plays 12 snaps. We need him a little bit more. 12 opportunities, five of them as a receiver, one as a pass blocker, six as a run blocker. He has a 48 overall grade in that game. Plays three snaps week 11 against Minnesota, three against LA, uh, nine against Chicago, and gets 50 overall grades in all three of them, 58, 59, 56. And then Baltimore, week 15, plays 19 snaps, seven as a receiver, one as a pass blocker, 11 as a run blocker. He gets an 89.7 overall grade, 85.9 receiving grade, 69.6 pass blocking, 74.1 run blocking. Great game. From that moment on, they're like, we're going to play this guy all the time. However, 52, 58, 48, 50 were his grades from then on. Consistently a good pass blocker, but he was never really asked to do it. Also decent run blocker from that point on, had two games, not super great, but you know, so the guy had one good game, and his really, 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 really good receiving game, one reception, 22 yards. Now, maybe he just ran a bunch of great routes and got open all the time, and that's why he was so I mean, obviously, it's not based on that one pass, I guess, but well, I don't know what we're talking about. On the season, five targets, four receptions, 35 yards, zero touchdowns, 46.5 receiving grade, 67, or excuse me, 42. What the heck are we looking at here? Oh. I'm in the wrong column. I'm like, why do I care about his drop grade? 46.5 receiving grade, 69.4 pass blocking grade, 70.2 run blocking grade. So he's a six-round pick. He didn't do anything as a receiver, didn't really grade out very well, 57.5 overall, following his 40.9 overall receiving grade with Jacksonville, who dumped him after uh, basically not playing at all. And so it's an underwhelming performance overall. I mean, you know, can't even really say one good game, because again, we're talking about 22 yards on one reception. And everybody has one good game here and there, so it's not that big of a deal. But all I've heard about Tyler Davis is how great he is. That's all I've heard. Been bragging about him as a player, bragging about how great he is on special teams. Apparently Rich Bisaccia, the special teams coordinator, is super jacked up about Tyler Davis. They're talking about how he can really run. He runs like a 4-7-1, but apparently the guy can fly. I don't know. Okay. But I, I just, I don't remember... A similar situation where somebody with no pedigree who's new to the NFL, has very little experience in the NFL, um, just gets so much praise. I'm, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm, I'm excited. I'm just trying to... 
usually I try to compare things to other things to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about, right? Whether I can be positive or you know, pessimistic or optimistic, you know, you can point to, well, you know, this has happened in the past and it didn't really pan out. Or every time we've heard this, it's worked out. I just, I don't have anything to compare this to. And the reason is usually praise comes slowly. You know, the fact that I, I, I haven't heard this about Josiah DeGuara or even Dominique Daphne who have been in there and have done a good job. And, you know, again, if, if you're comparing them to Tyler Davis, I don't see how both of those guys wouldn't be better than Tyler Davis. But here we are. Anyways, we'll get off that. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just confused by it. I know it sounds like I'm being negative. I don't mean to be negative. I'm just I'm just confused by it. Um, man, we are 40 minutes into this. We haven't even taken a break and looked at defense. Why don't, why don't we just take a break here and I'll try to be faster. I was going to go until the end of offense, but let's just stop here because we're extremely late. Crazy how long this takes. Time flies and you're having fun. Um, call in patreon.com forward slash pack and score daddy. If you want to support the podcast, substack.packernet.substack.com. Uh, take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, us cellular customers. I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. All right. Um, continuing on, we've only got two other positions to look at here. Uh, running back, on offense, I mean. Uh, running back, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, obviously locked up. The, the question is, what do we do beyond that? Running back is always a sad position because I always like everybody, and we end up not keeping really any of these guys. And, and even when we do keep them, let's just say it's Kylan Hill is the other third back, and that's the only third guy we keep or whatever. I'm going to want to utilize him a lot, and we're just not going to. But I was a huge fan of Patrick Taylor. I thought every time he touched the ball, he looked real good. Loved the the explosion that he had. And then we got two new guys, B.J. Baylor and Tyler Goodson, to be able to see what they can do. And I'm sure they're going to look real good. And I'm sure that we're going to get excited about them. And I'm sure we're going to want them to play. But at the end of the day, it's there really isn't a camp battle. Even if we want to say, well, you know, there's going to be three spots. So who's going to be the third guy? I guess that's a battle, but it's really not because it's going to be Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And even if one of these guys goes down, it's just going to be 90%. You know, if Aaron Jones goes down, it's going to be 90% A.J. Dillon getting spelled by Kyle Lynn or Patrick Taylor or whatever. So I'm excited to watch them play because I love running backs and I love really good running backs. And running backs generally just seem to play well most of the time. I mean, I, I, I always really like the guys that we have and then they just don't play. So I'm just is what it is. Uh, quarterback, again, not really a competition. Um, regardless of how they play, Aaron Jones is the number one guy. Jordan Love is the future, quote unquote. And Danny Etling is just that number three guy that everyone's going to love and is going to say is so much better and we should play with, you know, use him and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's you know, it's the same old thing every time. But what's interesting, obviously, is how Jordan Love is going to play. That's the only thing interesting about quarterback, but it is also one of the most interesting things. And again, it's going to be real exciting to be able to see Jordan Love and and whether or not he builds a rapport with guys like Amari or Romeo or Watts, uh, Watson, Toure, Tyler Davis, whatever. But, you know, it, it's more about how much did he grow more so than camp battle types of things. But I am excited about, about that. Um, defensively, and I just got off the phone with Clayton. Not sure which one's going to drop first, his or mine, but um, talking about camp battles. And, and one of the things that gets me the most excited about any kind of camp battle or any kind of just anything about this upcoming season is Devontae Wyatt. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I was a big fan of Devontae Wyatt through the draft process. Um, he was one of my highest graded prospects in the entire draft class. Elite pass rusher, just dominant football player, really good against the run also, underrated. He's seen as more of just a really athletic guy and athletic guys are, are seen as pass rushers, you know, with athletic defensive tackles. If you're fast, then you're a pass rusher. He really was, I mean, as far as grades are concerned, a better run defender than pass rusher. But just the, you know, if you could flip any one switch to make this this team really good in terms of this player is going to be really good, Devontae Wyatt has to be one of the top ones. I mean, you could say Christian Watson, maybe, or Romeo Dot, one of the wide receivers, and that would make sense, or offensive linemen or whatever. But Man, if Devontae Wyatt comes in and can just be like a 12 percenter, you know, as far as pass rush percentage, you know, it doesn't have to be anything super crazy, but just, you know, 
consistently disruptive as a pass rusher. You know, give me 12% and, you know, what, six, seven sacks? I don't care. But that with Kenny Clark and Rashawn and, and Preston and just, you know, bringing extra guys like Quay and whatnot on blitzes, man, would that just be an absolute killer. That would just be unbelievable. And I know a lot of people are on the Jerron Reed hype train. We don't need him because we got Jerron or whatever. Jerron, whatever. I mean, maybe, you know, I, Devondre Campbell was no good before he came to Green Bay and then he blew up. And Razul was no good before he came to Green Bay and he blew up. Jerron could be that guy also. That's fine. But I'm just telling you, if, if you believe the hype that Jerron is a very good football player, has been for a long time, and we just got him, you're wrong. There's a reason we got him for basically free. You don't get star players for free, I promise you. We didn't pay him hardly any money to be here. So um, as far as camp battles, I mean, you know, if, if we want to even call it that, and I, I guess I don't really care if it's a battle or not, but that's, that's the biggest thing. First of all, where does, does he start with the ones? He probably doesn't, but if he does, that's such a good sign. Um, but even if he doesn't, it's just about, I want to see him go up against those offensive linemen, you know? I want to hear those reports about, man, he just can't be stopped. He just, you know, he's so disruptive and he's unblockable. You know, the stuff we heard about Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith back in 2019, um, just about, how, you know, Bakhtiari cannot stop him. I just want to hear that, you know, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, whatever, these guys cannot contain Devontae Wyatt. Uh, TJ Slayton, I don't, I don't think Slayton takes a step at all. Uh, the, the only question I would have about that in terms of, you know, sort of the number ones or whatever is the whole Kenny Carp. Clark slimming thing because Kenny Clark as of right now is the nose tackle so if you're looking at a 3-4 defense Kenny Clark's your nose and then you got Dean and Jerron Reed on either side of him but if he really did trim up quite a bit and they want to utilize him more on the edges maybe there will be a little bit more Slayton as that big guy up front and then you got Dean and Kenny you got Devontae and Kenny you got Jerron and Kenny you got Devontae and Jerron whatever as your ends that could be a scenario in which you see more TJ. It's it's still going to be limited because, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's going to need his his rest. But um, that would be one instance where, you know, he slides into that number one nose tackle position. I don't think that'll happen, but that would be the, the one instance of that. But in, in other words, I, I think TJ Slayton is going to be in the, the quote unquote twos, regardless of how good he becomes. So for him, it's not about a, a battle necessarily. It's just about, I want to see the growth. Because that's the other thing with defensive tackle. It's such a high rotation position. You can be technically a number two, but still be a guy that's on the field a ton and are very disruptive and a very good player and all that. And it's it's not really a reflection of how good you are, especially being a nose tackle. You're not going to be on the field a ton because you're going to need a lot of rest. Um, at edge, it's really all about Kingsley. It's all about the backups. I mean, you, you kind of want to know where Preston's at, but I don't know if we're going to learn that in training camp necessarily. I mean, he could have a great training camp and, camp and still regress. Um, he could seem terrible in, in training camp and still have a great year. It, it's it's one of those kinds of things. Same with Rashawn. It's not really about learning how good guys are. It's just, you know, if you're getting those number one cracks. But uh, with Kingsley, there, there kind of is a little bit of that. And, you know, same thing applies. Maybe he's not going to look great, but he's going to play a bunch and, and be fine in the regular season. Maybe he'll look good and be garbage in the regular season. I don't know, but you still want the good reports. It's more likely that a good player is going to be able to beat the offensive line and a bad player can't. Um, Beyond that, you know, we've got Jonathan Garvin and Randy Ramsey. Are those two guys going to be the number twos? I want to hear that Kingsley is that guy. I want him to take either Garvin's spot or Ramsey's spot or whoever's spot is going to be there. So if he can just be and, and maintain that number two spot, he's never going to crack the number ones. But if he can be on the number two um, the, the second team and hold that spot throughout training camp, that's, that alone is a great sign because the coaches are the ones that understand, does he have the understanding? Does he have the ability and all that? Um, cause I mean, he really is another guy that, I mean, as good as he was in college, one of the better pass rushers legitimately. It's why some people thought he was a second round talent in terms of his pass rush numbers and everything else. He was one of the top guys. So, um, I don't know why he fell. I'm sure there's a reason for it, but you know, if he can be a disruptive guy, I mean, that that really is going to make a big difference. Linebacker, there's really nothing. Um, Devondre and Quay are going to be the guys. It's more about usage for me. How are they utilized? How often are they doing two linebackers? How often is it one linebacker? Um, in what ways are they utilizing them? I know they're not going to try to give away all their secrets or whatever in training camp that they're going to roll out in the regular season, but they're going to practice. You know, I mean, if, if, if their base looks a certain way, they're obviously going to run their base. What is, What is that? Um, Corner and safety is kind of the same thing. We know who the starters are. It's really just a matter of how that all shakes out in terms of how they're looking. 
you want to hear that the defense is winning a bunch just because we assume that that's how that's going to go and if it doesn't you're going to worry about you know the the defense but then you can just brag about the offense I don't know but it kind of just comes down to who are the the backups and hopefully we never have to see them but there are some interesting um players you know um we kind of went through them a little bit between Shamar and how he's doing guys like Keyshawn Nixon who we brought over what you know how how is he performing Tariq Carpenter you know what role is he going to be and and how does he look Ennis Gaines KBNNTO again minor stuff but it'll just be kind of interesting to see who's second team and and what the reports are about those guys again though hopefully don't have to hear or see any of them um and special teams is obviously huge we want really want the Pat O'Donnell Mason Crosby thing to be a thing I mean they they the relationship they formed and everything is great uh it seems like it'll gel just great but if Mason's missing a bunch of kicks or Pat is shanking a bunch of kicks it is what it is there's there's going to be competition um long snapper you know we got Jack Coco and Steve uh, Wirtel that are there I, I don't care who wins the job I just want somebody to win the job and do a good job but other than that you don't really get to see much in training camp they're not going to be doing live tackling type stuff but it, obviously it'll be interesting to see who the returners are um I wouldn't be too shocked if it's still Amari and I know a lot of people are going to be upset about that but you kind of just reset to what you had last year and then you try out other things and you just assume eventually somebody will replace Amari maybe they do it right out of the gate I don't know but I'm I, I'm just saying don't be too dismayed by what you see day one right? I mean, there's going to be a lot of, especially with no news for so long, when we hear day, it's going to be massive overreaction, right? None of the rookies are in first team wide receiver. That, what a disaster. Sean Ryan, Zach Tom, not first team, terrible draft class. Devontae Wyatt is second team. Kingsley's second team. Nobody that was drafted is doing anything except Quay Walker. And that's only because everyone else is so terrible. This is a disaster. Calm down. Give it time. Give Romeo and Watson some time. Give Sean Ryan and Zach Tom some some time to compete. I mean, we're, we're kind of just resetting from last year and we're, we're creating open competition and we'll see who wins, right? It's like, it's, <laughs> it's like shooting off a gun for a race and the first one off the blocks, you're like, oh, yep, that guy won. Like, what are you talking about? Well, he, he came off the block the fastest. We haven't even started the race yet, dude. Calm down. It's kind of like, you know how they stagger based on the inside track and the outside track because the outside track is longer, so it's further ahead. Obviously, that person is quote-unquote winning at that point, but it's just because they started kind of ahead, but it's just kind of an illusion. Everybody's actually on equal footing. It just doesn't appear that way at this time. Give it time. Let them run the race. Training camp is there for a reason. There are going to be competitions. Let's just let it roll out. But but you you can overreact if somebody is first team because that's not the norm. The norm is Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. That's the first team. If Watson and or Dobbs are first team, that's huge. If Sean Ryan and or Zach Tom are playing on the offensive line with the first team, that's huge. If Devontae Wyatt is first team, huge. I don't think anybody else really could be. You know, Rasheed Walker gets first crack at, at tackle or something over a Cole Van Lannan or something. That That's pretty big. But don't overreact in the opposite direction. Anyways, I'm going to get out of here. This has been a, uh, a long thing. And like I said, I did a Clayton interview in between. So I've been sitting here for a long time. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.